Hey, it's really good to have you here. Um, we're celebrating the love of God through Jesus Christ today. And throughout Scripture, when it talks about the love of God, we're talk- God is shown to us as a heavenly Father. And being on Father's Day, we want to uh, pray for our dads right now. We want to honor our fathers and lift them up uh, to the Lord and trust them in God's hands. Um, we are far, I'm a father, I'm far from a perfect man, but I need the love of God in my life every day to teach me how to love my wife and teach me how to love my children sacrificially and selflessly like Jesus loves me. So I'm going to ask you to do something that um, we don't typically do here, but if your dad's with you or uh, you know, your husband's dad around you, just place your hand on dad right now as we pray. Even if you have to get up and walk around if you have lots of kids, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want, to, uh, we want to thank you so much for the blessing of our fathers. We recognize his role in our lives and his leadership in our families. And we honor our fathers on this day, and we entrust them into your hands. Father, protect them. Protect them from the distractions and the destruction of this world. Father, keep their eyes focused on you. Move their hearts to love you and to love their families. Father, empower them because they can't do this without you. Empower their hands to serve and to lead us as they reflect your love to us. We trust them to you, for it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks. Well, throughout our whole worship this morning, we have looked at the love of God, and we have responded to that. And you know, I've grown up in the church, and I've learned a lot about God, and I've learned a lot about the Bible, but as much as I know about it, it never transcends the importance of love. And if you've gone to church all your life, and you've gotten really good at being in a religion, and you've, um, sometimes you've grown up in a legalistic church where you thought you had to perform to impress God, and you've not caught his love, you've missed it. You've missed it. The early church father, Jerome, talks, gives this story as he writes a, a, a commentary on the book of 1 John, and he writes, uh, picture John being lifted into the church in Ephesus, and all he says is, little children love one another. And he meets another person, and he says, little children love one another. And they go, John, you met Jesus. You saw him before he was crucified, dead and buried. You saw him after he was crucified, dead and buried. And don't you have anything more for us? He goes, little children love one another because if you do this, you got it. You got it. That's the picture. That's the whole writing of First John that we have to get. There's a lot of issues in First John that we can go, but the most important issue is that The love of God comes into our lives and it totally transforms us and it moves in us and it moves through us into others. And that is the key picture. The big picture that that God's going to call us into today in his word is, do you love? Are you loving? Because if we're not, we're missing it. It's not about being here in church. It's not about an impeccable church attendance, all about church giving, church ministry, that's, if we do all that without love, we've just done things. And so we've got to get to that picture. We've got to catch this vision of 1 John in our lives. And I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John. I'm going to read two passages, one from 1 John chapter 3, and then one from, one from 1 John chapter 4. 
In chapter 3, I'd like to read from 11 through 18, and then in chapter 4, I'd like to read verses 7 through 12. So take a look. Let's start in in chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then in 1 John 4, beginning with verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is really a key passage for us. And it's the simple message that I want you to remember about the flow of God's love to you, in you, and through you. The the first picture is that, that picture of God's love. That mighty ocean of God's love. He's filled with an infinite amount of love that he has given to us. Biblical uh, Christianity teaches a different picture of religion. It points a picture of a God who doesn't stay distant from people, but a God who then goes to people. And Jesus is the love of God coming to us. it's, it's mentioned in 1 John three sixteen. Did you catch it? It's a, it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And I grew up in a church, and there was a, a song that we would sing as kids. It was, um, Jesus loves the little children. Do you remember it? Let's sing it. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know, every time I think and and hear that, I go back to a three-year-old class and those windmill cookies that they gave us for a treat. And it was in that, even though I was looking forward to the juice in in the cookie for the break there, it's in that I started realizing Jesus loves me. And he doesn't just love me. He, he loves everyone. Because God is a loving God. And it is so good as his child to realize he, it just doesn't stop with me. It flows to all the children of the world. And now that I'm older, I mean, Jesus loves the 
big old folks, you know, you can say that. I mean, we, we get that picture, but it starts at a young age when you, you understand that. Because the picture of the gospel is that Jesus loves you. And, and the gospel is God's love flowing to you. Look at what 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says. It says, And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Let's break that down a little bit. Because this is really what the love of God has shown to us. You know, love is probably one of the most sung about words in pop culture. It's probably one of the most things that we, we try to get moved by it. And love, love, you know, we can't look to the pop culture to define love. It's not, that, that type of love's not working. We can't look at just loving ourselves more. That moves towards selfishness. So a self-centered love doesn't work. That's why we have to have God's love flow to us. And here it describes what kind of love this is. Number one, it's God-initiated. For us to love, God has to work in our hearts. For us to be loved, God loved us before we loved him, which means also it was selfless. Because it says that he sent his son to us. He saw our need and gave us everything we need to be in a relationship with him. And then it says that he's a propitiation. In other words, he settles the wrath of God in our lives. It's a sacrificial love. For those of us who go, I'm going to love you when you love me. That's not God's love. For those of us who go, now, I believe in the 50-50 style of love, where you love me 50, and then I'll love you 50. That doesn't work. Together, you'll never have 100. Because you love, and we love, ourselves more than anyone else. If you don't believe me, try to love someone. I've never realized how selfish I am until I started loving people around me. And I realized how selfish I am, how full of myself I am, how much I'm constantly aware of how I feel. What do I think about things? How I ought to be treated? And I ignore that until those, those things are taken care of. I ignore other people. That's not God's love. God initiated his love to us. He was selfless in that he gave up his rights. Jesus came in the flesh. He left the glory of heaven and the praise of heaven and even the love of heaven to come to this earth and to be despised and hated and rejected, unloved by this earth. He didn't wait for us to measure up. He loved. That is godly love. You can have normal love, but it's not godly love. We're never going to call you to normal. We're always going to call you to godly. And that's why we have to understand that it's his love that ought to define us. His God-initiated, selfless, sacrificial love. John 3.16 was one of the first verses I memorized in my life. And I'd like to say it along with you. Would you say it with me? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the greatest moment in the history of love was when God took on flesh and came to this earth and laid down his life for us. That's the whole picture. And John describes it as God so loved us that he gave. Love always gives. What's our response then? How do you respond to God's love? 
Well, you respond to God's love just like John 3.16 says, is, is that you believe it and you receive it. You're open to it, and so you believe that Jesus really does, is the love of God, and he was good enough. He died on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know, I can be better than you in some areas, and you can be better than me in other areas, but God never compares you to someone around you. He never compares you with someone else except Christ. And that is why we need Christ. Because only Christ can live the perfect life that you couldn't live. Only Christ could pay the price on the cross that we could not pay. Only Christ could resurrect from the dead to give us eternal life. We must have Christ. Because he's the love of God flowing to us. And we need to believe and receive God's love faithfully. Secondly, Jesus is God's love flowing in us. It's flowing not just to us, but by faith, it's now flowing in us. Look at 1 John 3, 23. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he has commanded us. You know, another song that I sang when I was young was Jesus Loves Me. Do you remember that song? Let's sing that. I remember in our, fir- in our first service, some kid said, no! And that kid needed Jesus, so we just sang it anyway. So let's sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That is the message of the Bible, that God through Christ loves you. You know, you ever wonder why you have to sing that song, those stanzas, yes, Jesus loves me so many times? Why, why didn't they just stop after once? Because... We need to constantly hear it. Because when we mess up, uh, those of us who are performance-based kind of look over our shoulder and wonder, what's God going to do to mess me up now that I messed that up? Kind of look over our shoulder and we wonder, is God out to get me? And that's where we have to be reminded. That's why John is so clear in that, is that, you know, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because God is there. He is for you. He is for you to trust him. He is for you to turn away from sin and to walk in the new life and the love that he's given us. Because Jesus is the mighty ocean of God's love flowing in us. In 1 John 3, 1, I love this verse. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is who we are. And so we are, he says. See, this is the defining nature of God's love. It gives us our true identity. You are, through faith, a child of God. That's who you are. That's your number one identity as a follower of Christ. You are first and foremost a child of God. Before I'm called to be a husband to my wife, I'm called to be a child of God. Before I'm called to be a father to my children, I am called to be a child of God. Before I am called to be a pastor in this church, I'm called to be a child of God. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. 
And don't buy the lie that you can be defined and that your identity is in anything else other than Christ. Everything besides Christ is a distraction to your true identity. That's why when, when people lose things, when Christians lose a job, or they lose a house due to an economic downturn, or they lose a relationship, it has to come back to, who are you? What's your primary identity? Because we can buy the lie that it's Joe Hishma, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church. That's my identity. No, no. It's, it's Frank so-and-so, president, CEO. No, it's not that either. We get so wrapped up in different identities rather than our primary identity because of the love of God. You are first and foremost a child of God. Don't. Don't get more complicated than that. That's what we have to be called into. And this kind of love, this fatherly family love, this primal love that we're given through Christ is, is when we have it, it's our foundation for how we love. And when we don't have it, it seems absent in life. And our life tends to collapse. Mitch Miller, one of our deacons here, is part of Kairos Torch, a ministry that reaches out into the detention center, the, student, the uh, youth detention center here in Topeka. And he'll take a, around uh, 20 different people who go and mentor students in the detention center. And you know what he finds? He finds that very few of them have a picture of a father that reflects the fatherhood of God. And so it's a huge standard. And so Mitch goes and shows the love of God in him to them and mentors them, listens, prays with, shares Christ, goes to a Bible study, but also has great fellowship with him, shares his life because the love of God is in him. See, God has entrusted his love to us that it would flow in us. 1 John 4, 16 says this. So if we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You want to reveal God? Love. Love. Ephesians three seventeen to 19, Paul, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. He prayed that you, being rooted and established in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, your life, here's Paul, a murderer, murderer himself who is transformed by the grace of God. You've got Moses, another murderer in the scriptures, who didn't love, who sought to get even, who the love of God transformed in his own life. You have Peter, an attempted murderer, who the love of God transformed his life. That's why Paul, or, or John, writes throughout this, don't be like Cain, who murdered his brother. No, be like Christ, who laid down his life for us. Because the love of God is flowing in us. John would later develop this whole concept of what kind of love we have in 1 John four eighteen, He says, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is a great passage. Because 
Because it's telling us, you know, those of us who kind of look over our shoulder when we mess up, what is God going to do? Is he going to get me? Or for those of us who think we can impress God with our good works, that when we come to church, God owes it to give us a good week for us. We, we need to realize there's no fear of punishment in the love of God. You're his child. You're his, can you walk away and, and, you know, and, and sin? You can. But what do you lose when you do that? You don't lose your heavenly father. No, his love is always there. And so we're called into the God's love constantly flowing in us. I love, I love God. And as God's love is shown into me and as I pray, you know, there's days when I, I love myself more than God. And those are times we all need to pray, God, I need you to give me a greater love for you. That's one of the greater things is God is the source and sustainer of love to us. He gives us love. We need to ask him for that in our lives so that his love will flow in us. You see, when you're loved, when you realize that you're treated far better than you deserve, it changes you. Love is the great motivation for forgiveness. As some of you know the story, the, the guy or, you know, the guy does something against, to his wife and, and they just, you know, it's, it's like, whoa, how could he do that? And you have a conversation around the water cooler. You go, man, whoa, if I were her, no way. And all of a sudden you hear she's forgiven him. She's forgiven. You go, wow, why did he forgive her? And she goes, because I love him. You see, you can't forgive without love. You can't truly forgive someone and set someone free of your wrath and anger and revenge if you don't love them. So we're called to do that. We're called to respond the way God has respond, responded to us. And that's why, as, as you fear, we're no longer to fear messing up with God for his punishment. You know what we're to fear? We're to fear walking away. What my life would be like if I walked away from the love of God. I've been there. I've been there. I've walked away at key times in my life from the love of God. I don't ever want to go back there again. So that's what we're to fear, what my life would look like without God's love, without that picture and pattern of his love. The mighty ocean of God's love flowing to us, flowing in us, and finally flowing through us. 1 John three seventeen and 18 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and deed, but in, uh, uh, excuse me, word and talk, but in deed and truth. You see, this is the ultimate destination of God's love. It's not just for me. It's also for others. And we're here to take God's love and serve God's love to others. Not just talking about it. Church is really good about talking about the love of God. It's weak in living the love of God. And we can get our theology down, and it's important to have good theology, but if we neglect love, Paul just calls us clanging symbols. And you know, when you talk to people who've intersected with Christians more focused on truth than love, that's exactly what you'll get. I hear their anger, I hear their voice, but I do not see their love. You know, as a church, that's one of the greatest things we can be focused on is loving 
is loving. Are we a loving congregation? Do we love people? People who don't even believe like us. People who don't act like us. Or are we going to stand behind in self-righteousness and go, I'm, like, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. Stay away from them. No, that's not loving. That's not loving. And we have to be people who, although we're godly and we seek after God, we love and we accept everyone as a unique creation in the dignity of God, created in his image. Now, I look at that. That's a really hard thing to do because religion many times just makes that distinction of who's in, who's out. And the love of God needs to come to us, and through grace, we need to have a humble spirit with others. That's why if you spend time with me, um, you're going to get Jesus. I'm going to share Jesus with you. And if you trust Jesus, I'm going to celebrate, and I'm going to welcome you into the family of God. And if you don't trust Jesus, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you. Because the story's not over. The story's not over. And, and we all need to be a people who are marked by our love. So let me summarize. And kids, look up here because this is, this is, I know I could have started the message like this and it would have only been two minutes long. So I've kept it at the end just so that we get it. This is just going to illustrate everything we talked about. You see, if this is a picture of God's love contained into Christ, that when Christ came and served us, God's love through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. He poured his love in the gospel to us, into our lives. And he fills our lives with the spirit of God's love in us. To show us and to show us that we're loved. We're no longer to fear his punishment. But we're not just to contain God's love in us. That's not. God has a bunch more love. It's more than just filling our... It's meant to overflow from our lives around us into the people and the lives and the places around us that his love would flow through us into other people's lives. That's as simple as it is. Now, we can stay close to God's love and just let it pour around us. God is going to continue to love with or without you. But isn't it awesome to be used of God where his love flows into your life and around your life, into the people around you. That's the picture. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. God's love flowing to us in Christ, in us, and through us. This is a really easy message from 1 John to give. The difficulty will be to live it. And that's what the assignment is this week. Receive God's love. Allow God's love to move through your mind and your attitudes and your words and your actions. And give God's love around you. It's simple, but it's profound. It's the whole book of 1 John. God's love to you, in you, and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the love of God to us. We thank you for filling our hearts with your love. Lord, um, so many times we're, we're focused on 
whether or not someone loved us or was sensitive to us. Lord, we want to be people who are open and available for your love to move not only in us, but through us into the people around us. So as we begin this week, may we be people who are open and available to allow you to fill us with your love and to give your love to the people around us. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.